Thank you, choir. Good morning, everyone. I want to wish you all Merry Christmas. Um, feels weird. I've, I've been protesting because I'm like, these are not Christmas Eve services. When I was growing up, Eve meant Eve. These are the day before Christmas services. Our four o'clock service will be Christmas Eve. But anyway, glad you're here. want to welcome especially those of you that are visiting family and friends. I don't know that it's your regular custom to visit with us, but you're very welcome here. And um, I wanted to mention to you, for those of you who are interested in learning more about Christianity, we're starting a course called Christianity Explored starting on February 11th. So for those of you who feel like, man, I don't have a clue what's going on here. I wouldn't even know how to read the Bible. We're going to be reading through the Gospel of Mark. And it's a great introductory exploratory study where you can answer, ask any questions you want. No questions are off limits. So we have these uh, little cards about them in the back, and we would, we would love to talk to you more about that. But for now, we're glad to have the children with us this morning. We don't usually have the children up here in our services. We, we read through the Bible, and we try to teach them age-appropriate stories about Christ and help them to grow as Christians. But two times a year, we have the children up here with us. And so let's welcome the children. Let's let them feel welcome here today. Now, just so we can get a feel for how many children are here, children, I want you to thank your parents for, for bringing you. So clap for them. Let's hear the children, only children. I saw some of you adults clapping. Okay, now we're got some, I hate that. It's hard to know. Okay, so let me tell you what we normally do here. We, we always try to study the Bible because we believe the Bible is God's word. We're, we're really not embarrassed to say, you know what? This age-old book has been changing people's lives for many, many years, and we would encourage you. I know I didn't grow up in a church where we read and studied the Bible, so if you're not used to that, we have lots of Bibles. We give them away. So right now, if you didn't bring a Bible this morning or you would like to borrow a Bible, but particularly if you would like a Bible, we give them away for free. We're not trying to get any money from you, but if you've never read the Bible and I want to encourage many of you who think you've read it because you grew up going into a religious school or something. I think you might find that you probably didn't read it quite in the way that you thought you may have. And so this morning, we are going to take a look at a passage from the Bible. We're not interested in just coming up with something clever or new that no one ever discovered. But rather, we want to go back and say, hey, what does the Bible teach this morning? Now, I have to warn you that this morning, you're going to have to make an adjustment when you go home. You're like, dang. All right, here's what you're going to need to do. You have a manger scene. Many of you have a, a, a crash or a manger scene out. We have a little wooden one on our floor. How many of you have a manger scene out in your house? Hey, I'm just going to ask you to do some scale adjustments. Because right now, you have the wise men at the manger, Okay. We're going to learn from the Bible that that's probably not where they belong. In fact, it's probable that it was a, somewhere between a year and a half and two years later that they came to see Christ, okay? So this is going to require some mathematics here. So you have to figure if they're way over in the east like Babylon and they're coming about two years later, you have to figure out how far away they should be. So if you're... If you're 
if your manger scene is under the tree, then I would say other side of the living room or at least in the kitchen, okay? But just have them headed towards, you know, and if the children turn them, turn them back around so they don't get lost on the way. But this morning, as, as is our custom, we want to learn something from the Bible. And so we're going to look at uh, the story of the wise men. Okay, now, again, we're also going to have to beat up on our songs, okay? Number one, we have no reason to believe that there were only three of them, right? So we got to get that out of our mind. I'm going to suggest it was probably way more than three of them. But number two, there's nothing in the Bible that suggests they were kings, okay? So we three kings is, is kind of like, well, I always thought that's what the Bible said. So we're going to look at what the Bible said. But I want to tell you something about reading the Bible. The Bible is not a book that's just supposed to fill our heads with information. The Bible is, is the word of God. And the Bible says that as we believe it and obey it, that our lives are transformed. It's not enough to know about the Bible. It's to believe what it says and then to respond to it. The Bible says if you just hear the word and you don't do what it says, you're kidding yourself. But he that looks into the word and believes and obeys it, this person will be blessed. And that's our desire that you'll be blessed. So one of the things we do, boys and girls, before we listen to a message from the Bible is we pray. If your mom and dad don't do that, you could just say, hey, didn't the pastor say we're supposed to pray and then read the Bible? So let's pray. Lord, thank you for letting us be together on Christmas morning or the day before Christmas morning. And I pray that as we think about the birth of Christ, that your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 2. For now, we'll have the text up here, but you can open your Bible to Matthew chapter 2. There's a table of contents in the front of the Bible if you're not sure. But let's begin with a very familiar passage. If we can start with this one, I'm going to put up there. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now, again, get out of your mind the shepherds and the manger. They probably stayed in Bethlehem for quite a while, maybe a year, a year and a half. Uh, you're like, well, how did, they, how did they survive? Well, meagerly. They were very poor. But it says after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which was a good way south of Nazareth, where Mary and Joseph were from, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Because we saw his star in the east, and uh, we've come to worship him. Now, when you're reading the Bible, just take a moment and ask some questions, okay? Like, number one, what in the world are wise men? But the thing that strikes me here is people don't worship babies. Now, if you're new here, you, I, I just have to let you know something. Be careful if you decide to make this your church. Babies are born considerably around here. Just look in every direction, okay? <laughs> and particularly when it's a firstborn, it's almost hysterical. I mean, I've seen it all. I've seen people that have signs on the thing, don't get near the baby. I mean, just like borderline worship. You know, but, but not quite. In fact, sometimes when people say, oh, pastor, I haven't shown you all the pictures of the babies, I go, I know, and I appreciate it. <laughs> but it is unusual, it's bizarre almost, to worship a baby, right? 
And it's even more desire or weird and strange to, to travel hundreds of miles back then to worship a baby that you don't even know you've never met. So let's ask a couple questions. Who are these wise men from the East? I did some research on the word magi. This, this Greek word magi, it's, it's an odd word. It's, 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 these guys were sometimes astronomers, sometimes magicians. It was used in the Old Testament to describe the magicians who worked for Pharaoh. There was an age-old tradition of having very intelligent people who researched in many different areas to sort of be like the king's advisors. In fact, this is why Jesus wasn't born in New York City. Imagine trying to find three wise men, you know, or, should I, or maybe I should have said D.C., right? But anyway, so the Old Testament spoke about these wise men. For example, when Daniel, the prophet, was, was taken away to Babylon as a little boy, the king had mag magicians, conjurers, and sorcerers. Um, and these, these would be the magi, okay? And he would consult them for advice. And in this particular story, if you ever read Daniel 2, they couldn't interpret his dream, and he was so angry he wanted to kill him. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious, and they gave orders to destroy all the wise men, okay? So different countries in the east, like Babylon, had wise men. Now, the interesting thing is Daniel, this young Jewish boy, became one of these wise men, and he rose up to power, and he had an influence among the wise men hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth. Maybe 500 years before Jesus ever came to earth, there were these wise men who Daniel introduced to the Hebrew scriptures. And so in addition to being astronomers, and some of them were quite strange, and you could read a lot about them in history if you just looked up Magi in encyclopedia, Daniel began to infuse within them that there's a special God, the God of the Jews, and that this book, the Old Testament scriptures, made predictions that God was going to bring someone to the Jews who would reign over them. And so why in the world would these wise men travel hundreds of miles to Jerusalem to worship a baby? And what in the world do they mean? We've seen his star in the east. So if you were to read through the Bible, you would find that the Old Testament has hundreds of predictions about the coming of Jesus. One of them is a very strange prediction in the book of Numbers. <clears throat> we're going to actually be preaching a series through the book of Numbers, so you're welcome to join us in the spring where we're going to read through the book of Numbers. But in the book of Numbers, there's a fellow by the name of Balaam who turns out to be a bad man. Balaam was an evil guy. <clears throat> Balaam was hired to curse Israel. And these Israelites who were traveling out of Egypt towards the promised land were about halfway there when the kings of the, the surrounding nations hired Balaam to curse Israel. And Balaam was moved by God to write something really bizarre. Balaam took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened... The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. So he's like, you're not going to believe what I saw. You say, well, Balaam, <clears throat> what'd you see? 17. Now look at this. He says, I see him. I see him. Right? Imagine somebody just saying, my eyes are uncovered. I see him. You're like, you see who? 
I see him, but not now. That doesn't even make sense, right? Where is he? Oh, I see him. Not now. What do you mean you see him not now? The idea is I see him coming in the future. I behold him, but he's not near. So remember, Balaam's, Balaam's prophesying back in somewhere around 1500 B.C. And he says, a star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. I see him. A star. A scepter. And you're going, Balaam, what are you talking about? And what's this star and scepter going to do? He's going to crush the forehead of Moab. He's going to tear down all the sons of Sheth. One from Jacob shall have dominion. So, so all Balaam's doing is he's going, I'm going to curse the nation of Israel. But wait. God showed me somebody far away, a star, a scepter. You go, huh. Many Old Testament Jews said, well, that's just talking about David. But there were a lot of Jews in the Old Testament who said, no, that's not David. That's the coming Messiah. So we asked the question, why would Jesus the Messiah be referred to as a star and a scepter? Well, the wise men show up, we have seen his star. And you go, what star? Well, they probably read about this coming star and scepter. And you go, so wait a minute, you're saying that star is Jesus? And I go, yeah. He actually calls himself a star. We'll start with Revelation 22. The end of the Bible, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I'm the root and descendant of David. I'm the bright morning star. So Jesus himself called himself a star. And when the Old Testament predicted the coming of Jesus, it would often speak of him as this bright, glorious being. For example, Malachi predicted him as the son of righteousness will rise, like a sunlight when Christ comes. When Jesus was, was being announced through John the Baptist, Zechariah said, the mercies of God have come with which the sunrise shall visit us. So, so the Bible presents Jesus, even this little baby, as this glorious, bright being, like a star, like the sun. And you go, all right, all right, I get it. So the wise men, they read the Old Testament. They knew that, that a star was coming. They studied astronomy. Some bright star told them that Messiah must have been born. I get that part. But what about the scepter? Or um, Balaam says, I saw a star and a scepter. A scepter is, is a king's rod, okay? Now, you don't give children certain things. I have two grandsons that are about four and two. You don't put sticks, swords, sharp objects in their hands. And you certainly wouldn't want to put a scepter in their hand, although most children sort of assume there's a scepter in their hand, like, hey... You're here to serve me, okay? But the reason there was a scepter is because that's what kings rule with. And the Bible predicted that the Messiah would come as a star and a scepter. In fact, in Genesis, when, when Jacob was prophesying over his children, look at verse 10. It says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. So the Old Testament portrays the coming of Jesus as having a, a scepter, a ruling rod in his hand. 
In fact, Psalm 110, this is another prediction about the coming of Christ. The Lord said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. You've heard that verse. How about the next verse? The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of the enemies. So you're sort of getting a picture here that these wise men got it. Like, this is not your ordinary baby, cute as he might have been. This guy is God who is going to shine with God's glory, and he's going to grow up, and he's going to be the king over the whole universe. He's going to rule over all the nations. And even though we're in Babylon, and he's in Judea, let's go get a head start and start worshiping him, because when he raises up and becomes king, I want him to know that I believe. You say, well, that's, that's kind of bizarre. Did Herod think this was a good idea? Well, when Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. You say, well, wait a minute. Why would you be upset? God sent his Messiah. Well, sometime, if you don't have anything else to do and you're really bored, get out a, a dictionary or go online and read about Herod. That dude was whacked. He was nuts. He killed his own kids. He was so paranoid that someone else would become the king that anybody who even gave a hint that they might usurp his power, that was their last breath. And so this troubled Herod, but it troubled all Jerusalem. Why would they be troubled that a baby would be raised up to be their king? So Herod gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he inquired of them. He says, now notice, these guys never said a word about Messiah. These wise men just said, where's the king of the Jews? But Herod's like, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about Messiah. Where's this Messiah supposed to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. For that's what's been written of the prophet. Now listen, look up here for me. See this book? People are like, how can you believe that silly Bible? How do you know it's true? I'll tell you one reason I know it's true is because there were hundreds of things predicted in it. And they all came true about Jesus. You can't even predict who's going to win the Super Bowl. And you certainly can't predict the next hundreds of Super Bowls. And you surely couldn't predict who's going to be the next couple hundred presidents. We could probably predict who's not going to be the next president. <laughs> but the prophets predicted, you Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth, now look here, a ruler. See, here's the thing. We tend to think of Jesus as little baby Jesus. Little, meek, and mild. That child was born to rule. We love to talk about, oh, Christ the Savior. But he's not just Christ the Savior. He's Christ the Lord. Then Herod secretly called the wise men and determined from them, when did this star exactly appear? Now, they must have said, probably about two years ago, we saw the star, we said Messiah is going to be born, but it's a long trip. And these guys, that's why I go, come on, three guys? Can you imagine, to go on a, on a map sometime and look where Babylon is in Mesopotamia. You can see where modern Babylon, look where Israel is. And you couldn't cut straight across because that's all desert. So they had to make this long trip around. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was going to make that trip, I would not go, just go with two other guys. Hey, guys, you want to go to, I'd take a whole bunch of guys. These guys had money, they had influence, they were wise, they were powerful. And I'm sure their wives were probably like, are you crazy? And they're like, 
It says it. Messiah is born, and you'll see a star. We're going to worship him. There was probably, I'm thinking, dozens of these guys, and it wasn't just a couple pokey little guys on donkeys. There were probably a whole caravan because it was dangerous back then to travel. Three men is not enough to stave off these mobs of thieves and so forth. Plus, they had gold with them. Nobody travels with gold and three together. So picture this pretty large entourage of wise men on this long journey that also they probably didn't leave right away. And so these guys didn't come to the manger. It says they came into the house. So he sent them to Bethlehem. He said, hey, go search carefully for the child. And when you found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. You go, wait, I thought you said Herod's a bad guy. I'm sure you've learned this by now. Children, don't believe everything people tell you, okay? You can believe what your parents tell you, but be careful. Ask questions. Think. It was the last thing on Herod's mind. So what did the wise men do? <clears throat> After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they'd seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Now, that must have been pretty cool. There it is again. And this struck me. It says, when they, star their, they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. <clears throat> That'd be like saying, what would you do if the Eagles win the Super Bowl? I would rejoice exceedingly with great joy. We don't talk like that anymore. <laughs> but you get it. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother. Now, again, you don't do this. This is a baby. They're in the house. And they fall to the ground and they worship him. You don't do that. You don't fall down on your hands and knees and bow down and adore a baby unless there's something very different about this baby who's going to one day rule as king and you want to get it out of the way early that you believe and you want to obey and worship him. And then they bust out their treasure chests. And they bring to him gold and frankincense and myrrh. And warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country. You go, what's up, what's up with that? Why did they worship Jesus? Now, listen here. Let me ask you a question. Do you get what that means to worship Jesus? Not to have him in a little crash in a manger, but to worship him? The Bible is very clear. You should worship no one but God. To worship anybody but God is blasphemy. That's why you can spot a Jehovah's Witness a mile away. Because while they adore Jesus, while they revere Jesus, while they believe Jesus died and rose again, just cut right to the chase and ask them this question. Do you worship Jesus? And they'll go, no, only worship God. The Bible says you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So I want you to think about this. Do you worship Jesus? Now, there's been lots of speculation. Gold, because he was a king. And myrrh, because that's what they put on people when they died. And frankincense for prayer. I don't know. Somebody said it was just essential oils. What do I know? You know what I mean? I... <clears throat> so I told you we're going to just take a few moments, boys and girls. When you read the Bible, you don't just go, oh, that was a nice story. What can we learn? I'm going to give you a couple things to learn, and I want you parents and children and me to say, all right, these wise men, 
they, they made some big sacrifices. First question, this is kind of sort of self-assumed, but are, are you wise enough to still seek for Jesus? I'm sure you've heard the phrase, wise men still seek him. There's a difference between giving Jesus a cursory couple holidays and maybe planting your, your bottom in church once in a while and putting a couple bucks in the plate. That's not seeking Jesus. The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Would you walk from here to Ohio to see Jesus? Would you give away all that you have to see Jesus? The Bible makes it very clear that God is interested in people who seek him. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. That, that, you get it, right? And somehow I think this Christmas it's wise enough to go, you know what, do I really seek him? Do you read this book? Look what the psalmist said, with all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. We're all seekers. You're all seeking something, right? Many of you are seeking that silly pot of gold or that perfect spouse. It ain't going to happen. That perfect house. It's not going to happen. Jeremiah said this, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I want to imagine that some of the, 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 the magi in Babylon said, you crazy? I'm not taking that long. I'd have to give up almost a year of my life to do that. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to seek the Lord right now, but one day I'm going to. I can tell you this. There are a lot of people who left this world unready because they always said, oh, I'll seek him later. Secondly, do you consider yourself a wise person? Like, well, I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> what does it mean to be wise? See, PhDs do not make you wise. I have a PhD, a public high school diploma. <laughs> PhDs do not make you wise. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. See, if God isn't the center of your life, I'll answer the question for you. You are not wise. And don't get mad at me because I didn't see it. I didn't say it. And by the way, on that idea of being wise, if you are wise, it'll look like this. This is what Job said. The fear of the Lord, that's wisdom. To depart from evil, that's understanding. Here's a way to ask yourself if you're wise. What do you think about evil? You're like, I love it in all its fashions. If you fear God and you're wise, you're going to try to turn away from things that are wrong. And that might not be normal for you. You're like, wrong? What do you mean by that? So I want to encourage you. These wise men were given wisdom by God. Some of you are very confused today. And I understand that. Not everybody here is happy. Oh, some of you lost loved ones. Some of you are going through a divorce. Some of you are depressed. Some of you lost a job. We have to be sensitive. Some of you want to have kids and you can't. Some of you want to be married. Some of you wish you weren't married. And there are times where the Bible tells us we must ask God for wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. God's not going to go, I don't have time for you. He gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let me, let me remind you of this. Do you want to know if you're wise? Here's what the Bible says wise people look like. If you're asking God to give you wisdom, 
This is how you respond to trouble. Who among you is wise and understanding? Me. And James goes, put your hand down, please. Let him show by his good behavior his deeds. Let him show it. If you're wise, it'll show up in your life. Where will it show up? Gentleness. If you're angry, bitter, fussing at your wife, fussing at your husband, mean to your kids, rude at work, if you're not a nice boy or girl to your friends, if you're not polite and respectful to your parents, then you're not wise. The Bible says if you have selfish ambition in your heart, don't lie. The wisdom from above is pure. This is why I say, ask God, Lord, help me to be more pure. Help me to be peaceable. Help me to be gentle. Help me to be reasonable with other people. Help me to be full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. So you say, hey, those wise men were on to something there. I ought to seek the Lord, and I'd ask God this year to make me more wise. Third, you ever notice how people are all stressed out at Christmas? I just watched on the news, these guys got in a fist fight. They showed a video, I'm getting them a fist fight at the store over a present, right? It's such a grind. Everybody's worried, is this the right present? Dial it back. It's not supposed to be a grind and worry. It's supposed to be gratitude and worship. Coming into the house, they saw the child and Mary's mother. They fell on the ground and worshiped. I challenge you to do something. <clears throat> you may have never done this before. It might even feel weird. Sometime tomorrow, get on your knees say, well, that's a little awkward. It is awkward. Get on your knees and worship Christ. Just say, Lord Jesus, I worship you. I, I, I thank you. And rather than worrying about the, everybody's worried about getting the right gift. You know, I wonder if the, the wise men are like, do you think I should get silver, gold, copper, brass? You think he likes frankincense? I don't know. Stop worrying about that. Christmas isn't about getting the right gift, or doing some more for Jesus. It's about just going, God gave me Jesus. The Bible says, thank God for his unspeakable gift. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That's why I always tell people, if you're visiting here, I don't know who, we don't need your money. We are not trying to get you into church, so give, give, the children have to live. Church is about God's gift to you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Free gift. And if you're a Christian, listen, what are you worried about? If God didn't spare his own son, if he gave Jesus, how will he not also freely give us all things? So when you worship Jesus tomorrow, say, Lord Jesus, thank you. God, my Father, thank you for this gift. And then when that love of Jesus fills you, then you can start worrying about helping others. Lord, you filled me with love. Now let me just bless somebody else. You know the grace of Jesus. He was rich. He became poor that you might be rich. So it's not about giving because, oh, they gave me something or I'll give to them because maybe they can help me out. Remember what Jesus said? It's more blessed to give than to receive. We don't need your money. But if you're a Christian, if you get it, you'll want to give. We don't need to beat people up and beg them to give and come to their house and say you're behind in your tithe. Fill with Jesus, you'll want to give because you know what a blessing it is.
And if it's bringing about peace on earth, right, I can't tell you as a pastor how many people I know who have squabbles in their family. Oh, my word. Especially at funerals. And even at weddings and who's not talking to who and which couple, you know. Would somebody stop the madness? Jesus came to bring peace on earth. The Bible says if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Some of you need to do something radical. Stop being so proud and, and, and apologize and make your peace with your loved ones. I see it, folks. I watch people on their deathbed. They don't need to see their portfolio. They want to have peace with their loved ones. Do that this holiday. I don't speak to my mom. Well, stop it. And call her up and just say, Mom, I'm sorry. Even if you're like, why should I be sorry? Because the Bible says as much as it is possible for be at peace with all men. Like, well, I don't feel like doing that. You don't know what my husband's done to me. My wife said, with all humility and gentleness, show forbearance to one another and be diligent to preserve unity and the bond of peace. You say, Jesus, you brought me peace. I want to bring peace to others. And then finally, we're all about children here and families. We got about 200 kids here, and I hope we'll have 200 more. I know Janet and Kim and our children's workers are going, please don't say that, Tom. <laughs> Because that's where Christ is first imparted in the home. 80% of people who follow Christ, they choose that before they're 18. And most of them choose that because of their family. And so those of you who have children and grandchildren, not just tomorrow and then put baby Jesus back in the crest for next year, teach them what Christmas is all about. Before they rush on their, their toys tomorrow like, like puppies on a bowl of Puppy chow. Let's stop and thank Jesus. Joshua said it this way. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Boys and girls, we're glad you're here. We hope that if mom and dad forget to pray tomorrow, you say, hey, before we open our presents, let's worship Jesus for a moment. Let's thank him for coming and dying for us. And for those of you who are like, this is all new to me, talk to us. We want to help you to have a relationship with Jesus where your sins are forgiven. You get a new start. And God can reconcile you not just with himself, but with others. That's what Christmas is all about. So may God bless you, give you a wonderful Christmas. We're going to do some closing singing, light some candles, and then trust that you'll go on your way having learned from the wise men. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you so much for the wise men. But Lord, as one of your children, we just want to join together to worship baby Jesus. Because he's not baby Jesus anymore. He's King Jesus. Risen Jesus. Coming again Jesus. Lord, for those who are not ready for the coming of Jesus, may this message from your word transform them powerfully to become a Christ believer and a Christ follower. And may all of us as Christians repent of American Christianity and the cultural worldliness and materialism and learn how to love and worship and give. And these things we pray for God's glory in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas.